0: Hello and welcome to the podcast of Pastor James Biddle and Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. Remember, we are blessed to be a blessing. We're looking at Mark chapter 15, verses 42 through chapter 16, verse 8. And this is going to be the funeral of Jesus. And his resurrection, so pretty exciting subject, right? all right so what's what was interesting to me as I was kind of looking at this uh you know all four gospels deal with this, if you think about it, in about two chapters, about two chapters before the end of each gospel, you've got the communion table. And then in two chapters, you've got his death, burial, resurrection, and it's just like bam, 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 bam. The most important thing in Christianity, and each one deals with it just so quickly. None of them really develop any of the major themes that go along with it. And I was just kind of wondering, you know, why is that? And But the question is, if they were to develop that, what would they say? Because if they said one thing, they'd have to leave so much else out. Would they talk about um, you know, in the book of Hebrews, it talks about Jesus presenting himself in that heavenly holy of holies where he entered by his own blood uh, to to make atonement for our sins. You know, if they talked about that, what would they talk about the uh, the Passover lamb that was slain? And, and you know, to, to a Jewish mind, you mentioned the Passover lamb. Now, that's in there because John the Baptist said, "'Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world.'" And I think it's Matthew who, who wrote to Jews, uh, he, that Jesus fulfilled the prophecy when they broke the, the, the people on the cross. They broke their legs, but they didn't break Jesus' legs. There's a prophecy about the Passover lamb that not one bone shall be broken that fulfills that. So, you know, for us, we'd say, wow, okay, that's the Passover lamb. The blood sprinkled. The death angel doesn't come, right? But, you know, to a Jew, they were expecting a new Exodus. They were still in exile in their mind. They were in the land, but they were under Roman oppression and they were looking for the day when God would restore the kingdom to Israel. So you say something like Passover lamb in connection with this. This is a big theme in the, in, in the Bible that just comes to its complete fulfillment right there in Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection. So, you know, what would they say? I've got to, would they, would they talk about Jesus, the suffering servant of Isaiah 53 or Jesus, the conquering Messiah of Psalm 2? Um, would they talk about the legal substitution where he went and he paid for our sins? Which one would they put in? Which one would they leave out or which ones would they leave out? If they were to develop all of these, his blood purchased men for God, the ransom, he satisfied the wrath of God when God poured out his wrath for on all evil that Jesus bore. How would they develop that? Each gospel would be as big as the Bible itself, had they developed it. It's so interesting that the Holy Spirit led the writers just to put the facts, and then how much it's developed through the rest of the New Testament. And, uh, it's a, it's a, I think if they were just to pick one, the result would be just a real flat, you know, and put it in a short space, would be a real flat, kind of one-dimensional, one-sided gospel. Whereas the, the resurrection of Jesus is so Dynamic and multidimensional. In it comes all the themes of the the all the Old Testament scriptures. And many of them just come to their conclusion right there in the Messiah, Jesus. And uh, it's big. It's so big. In these few verses, it's just the, the crux of Christianity. The resurrection is so foundational to Christianity. What's it say in Romans 10, 9 and 10? If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that... God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Believing that God raised him from the dead is key to being in the, in the church, in the, a Christian. Um, 1 Corinthians fifteen twelve through 17. I want to just start us off with this verse. And I think you guys have got it, if you'll follow me there. 15, 12. Now, if, This is Paul writing to the Corinthians. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? But if there is no resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrep- misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise if it's true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. And so this is just one of the many themes that, that the Bible deals with the resurrection. There's just no way to put those in this. So what, what I'm going to do here is I'm going to look at this very interesting and rushed funeral in the book of Mark as Mark records it and uh, the, the first witnesses of resurrection. And then I just want to take a few minutes and just look at, I'm, I'm telling you, I don't know, I didn't take the time to try to figure out how many, but I mean, there are dozens if not more themes that that just come together in the resurrection. But I picked three that I'll just kind of explore that I think were real, either very relevant to the early preachers in the book of Acts or very relevant for us today. And I just kind of hit on those and just kind of make an application. Because, you know, I think it was um, John Wesley who said something like, if your preaching doesn't... Uh, move you, it's not going to move anybody else. So I'm just going to be honest. These are three that I was excited about when I was looking at it. So if I'm excited about it, I'll be excited when I share them. So let's just pray uh, before we get started here in uh, Mark chapter 15, verse 40. Father, we thank you for the work of Jesus at the cross. We thank you for the resurrection. We thank you for the new life that is ours in Christ Jesus. Lord, as we open this word and study it, Speak to us through your word, from your word, Lord. Let it become in our hearts um, uh, uh, growing and producing fruit in all of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right. Starting with uh, uh, Mark chapter 15, verse 40, I'm actually picking up the last two verses that probably James covered last week just because it sets the stage and introduces some of the key players. Uh, 15, 40. Good, we're up there. Okay, there were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James, James the younger, and of Joseph, and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him, and there were also many other women who came up with him from Jerusalem. And uh, it's interesting that these women had been with Jesus all along. They actually followed him from Galilee, and it says there were many other women. And uh, I just have a quick question. Where are all the men? <laughs> the women are following. Him. Where are all the men? You know, why, why were the women the first evangelists after the resurrection? I guess because they were there. They were there. But, you know, in saying that, it is interesting that in their culture, um, the, the women really were not a credible witness. You know, if, if a woman would have witnessed a crime and, and uh, they were in court, she would not have been a credible witness. Her testimony would not have been valid. So it's so interesting that Jesus chose a woman to be his witness after the resurrection. Not only does that elevate, you know, show, show us how he thinks of women, elevates women, but it also shows that they did not fabricate this story because if they were going to fabricate it, they would have had some real credible man being the first witness of the resurrection. So uh, it just proves that the disciples did not make up this story. Okay, starting with verse 42 now. When evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath. Here again is just evidence that Mark is writing to non-Jewish readers because he explains the day before the Sabbath, uh, the day of preparation. He has to kind of explain it. A Jew would know that. They wouldn't mention it. Um, Joseph, verse 43, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should already have died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. Some interesting things about this character here. Joseph of Arimathea, a town I think about five miles outside of Jerusalem, he was a member of the Sanhedrin the very council that condemned Jesus to death. He was rich. He was a rich man. He owned the tomb that they laid Jesus in and he owned possibly the garden that the tomb was located in. He seems to have been a secret disciple along with Nicodemus. Nicodemus is another one we learn about from the book of John, you know, of course the conversation where for God's so love are or, or, um, uh, you must be born again. Uh, And how can a man be born again when he is old? That's the conversation Jesus had with Nicodemus in John 3. Uh, It says Joseph was waiting for the kingdom of God in Matthew. And there's speculation because in Mark it says the whole council condemned him to death. And so there's speculation along the lines of whether he was there and opposed, or if maybe when they called that council in the middle of the night, they didn't call him and Nicodemus. Hard to say. Anything you say is really speculation. But regardless, he did not go along with it and, uh, and uh, did not consent to their decision and action. Now, here's something else that's interesting about him. He was treating Jesus like a close member of the family. As an Orthodox Jew of his day, uh, he would have made himself ceremonially ceremonially unclean to participate in the Passover, for two reasons, one, because of handling a dead body, and also because he went into a Gentile's home when he went to ask Pilate for the body. And so he's just really treating Jesus as a, as a close, very special. He may have been even attempting to remove the curse of Deuteronomy 21, 22, and 23. Listen to this, if you pull it up. And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree his body shall remain all night on the tree but you shall shall not remain all night on the tree i'm sorry but you shall bury him the same day for a hanged man is cursed by god you shall not defile your land that the lord your god is giving you for an inheritance and of course right before the feast is the last time these people would want to defile their land they would want everything cleaned up but this reminds me of another verse the new testament quoting that galatians 3:13 and 14 Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And here's another aspect, another theme of the resurrection that uh, he became a curse for us, removing the curse of the law. That's an awesome thing. That's why There's no way they could have packed all of this into two chapters. The the books would have been just incredibly long. All right, back to Mark, uh, verse 46. And Joseph brought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled the stone against the entrance of the tomb. So Joseph here had a pretty busy day. First of all, you know, he saw, witnessed the death of Jesus. He saw that he died. He went to Pilate. He waited for Pilate to confirm the death through the centurion, sent somebody to summon the centurion, come back, confirmed he was dead, got permission, headed back to the tomb. On the way back to the tomb, bought the appropriate uh, linen cloth on the way, then took the body down and prepared it for burial. But, I, I, but this was a rush job. He had a whole lot to do in a very short time. The women were there. Possibly they helped. We also know, I think, from the book of John that Nicodemus was there. He brought a bunch of uh, spices and stuff, and they, they uh, wrapped the body. Verse 47, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph saw where he was laid, See, the body of the criminals, is interesting, were property of the state. That's why if nobody would have claimed it at the time, probably he would have been thrown into a common grave that night. And, uh, it, like it, you know, the, the, the Jewish burial, you, you probably know this was a two-stage burial. What they would do, they'd take the body down, they would wrap it in a certain way, put the spices on there, and lay it in a tomb. And then about a year or two later, whenever the body totally decomposed, they would take it and they would put it in an ossuary, which is a name for a bone box, and then that's where it would finally be. So this was kind of a rushed job. Um, but as what's interesting, Joseph fulfills the specific prophecy of Isaiah 53 verse 9 that says, He made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. So if it wasn't for Joseph, you know, he would have been just thrown into the common grave. But now he the he was intended to go to the, the grave of the violent, and then he ends up, his body is in the grave of a rich man. So, so much prophecy just comes together right here. It's amazing. 16, verse 1, When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, James and Siloam, brought, bought spices So that they might go and anoint him. Like I said, it was a rest job. So obviously they did some spices through Nicodemus. There, you know, there's 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 four different accounts of this, and it's fun when you kind of read people who are really overly concerned about having every detail. But they work out the details of who went there and when and whatever. I'm just kind of staying with Mark. He's very simple. He leaves out so many details. He just assumes that. Leaves it to our imagination, I guess. But um, putting putting them all together, we know that Nicodemus did put some spices on him, but they probably didn't complete complete the process because the women are going back out there after the Sabbath to uh, anoint him and continue it. It's interesting, the, the three we introduced in the beginning, Mary Magdalene, she followed Jesus from Galilee after, after he had delivered her from several demons. She has been unfairly labeled as a prostitute, but there is no New Testament evidence of this. Okay? The other woman, Mary, the mother of James, which is James the Less. In uh you you know her, because in Matthew, she's the one who came to Jesus with her two sons. Um uh and, and and asked them if they could sit on their right and their left, right? You know, in his glory. Well, probably when they saw Jesus hanging on the cross between two people as he's entering his glory, they were glad they weren't there on his right and on his left, right? But, <coughs> excuse me. But you know, James, James did. Uh, Jesus warned them. He said, can you be baptized with the baptism I'll be baptized with? And they said, we can, Lord. He said, you will be. But to sit on my right and my left is not for me, but it's for my father to decide. But James is the one who 10 years later will be killed by the sword under Herod in the book of acts chapter uh, chapter 12 i think yeah so they they would go they would see that themselves in the coming years verse 2 and very early on the first day of the week when the sun had risen they went to the tomb and they were saying to one another who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb um mark does not mention the guards but evidently the women here were not aware of the guards as they went because if you remember they put a seal on the tomb and and some guards to make sure that they didn't fabricate a story and steal the body but as they were going to complete this uh looking up they saw that the stone had been rolled away it was very large and entering the tomb they saw a young man sitting on the right side dressed in the white robe and they were alarmed doesn't say this was an angel but we know that this was the angel because of the description and from the other gospels. He said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. And there's where we're going to end tonight. <laughs> it's a, it's a interesting, an interesting, interesting, this is the cliffhanger <laughs> nailed by, <laughs> tune in next week. <laughs> but um, like I said, through, through uh, the death, Jesus conquered death, it's another theme uh the The substitutionary aspect of uh, what Jesus did is wrapped up in the fact that through death he conquered death um, the like I said, the Gospels did not explore the depth and the meaning of the cross but though by the time Mark was written, the church probably already had the books of James, Galatians, first and second Corinthians, and Romans was written about the same time so the most of this New Testament Understanding of it was already developed and written down um, by the time Mark was written. But like I said, the Holy Spirit led them just to deal with the facts and explore the whole depth of it through the other writers. Um, The three acts, I just picked three. Like I said, there's probably dozens, but the three that I want to just deal with very quickly tonight is one, the resurrection was proof that Jesus was Israel's Messiah. Okay. Two, through the death and resurrection Jesus defeated death hell and the grave and the devil and three our identification with the death burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ okay let's go to acts 13 26 33 this is quite a long passage but this is this gives you an idea of how the early uh, apostles used the resurrection as proof that Jesus was the messiah Paul is speaking, brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God. Now in Acts, (coughs) excuse me, in the book of Acts when he says, those among you who fear God, usually he's speaking of uh, God-fearing Gentiles, Gentiles who are kind to the Jews and possibly even observed to an extent parts of Judaism. So these are people who would have been very familiar with Israel's story. Those among you who fear God. To us has been sent the message of salvation, okay? He's going to give them the message of salvation. This is awesome. And it's interesting because you would think, you know, the message of salvation was, you know, all have sinned. Jesus died for your sin. You know what I mean? Like, Like we go through when we lead somebody to the Lord, but it wasn't. It was a proclamation of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That was it. And that's so interesting to me because... In, i i just i tell you a little story when i I used to you know do a lot of teaching for teaching kids doing a lot of outreach' cause similar to like what what michael Michael does every day, and I was so blessed when I did it but I'd be preaching something and proclaiming you know the victory of Jesus Christ and then I would stop and I'd lead us into a prayer of salvation and i would i realized I was just totally changing gears bow your heads, you know I have sinned jesus died and and that's true that's right that's that's one model and and i would be i'd be like how do these go together? I don't see this in the Book of Acts. They're proclaiming the resurrection, and and uh, I just learned learned that the that model of the legal substitution is an aspect that Paul developed that finds its place within this larger one: Jesus, the Victor. Okay, They go together. They work together. They're both absolutely right. But the, the, the big one here that they proclaimed was Jesus raised from the dead and conquered the devil. Serve him. And within that, we break it out. We start understanding that, yes, he did pay the price for our sins. He did carry our sins in his body on the tree that we might be made the righteousness of God. All of that is worked out. And it comes under this big Jesus, the conqueror, the victor. And uh, that's a, that's a good thing to always remember, Jesus, Jesus, the Victor. Those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize Him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, it's so important to have understanding. In the, the, in the parable of the sower, the seed fell on the ground. And the one who understood it could produce the fruit. It's so good. Seek understanding, the proverb says. Though it cost you all, get understanding, get wisdom. Uh, it comes from the Lord. They didn't have an understanding. They didn't understand what the prophets were saying. And because of that, they fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him, uh, no guilt worthy of death, death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they carried out all that was written of him, They took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God had promised to the fathers, he has fulfilled to us, his children, by raising Jesus. This is proof to them that Jesus is your Messiah. They're speaking to the Jews. He is the one written about There's all the scriptures when they had fulfilled all that was written of him. Let's go to Romans uh, 1, 1 through 4. Just listen to how Paul opens up the book of Romans. Like I said, it was written around the same time of Mark here. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle. Oh, a servant of Christ Jesus. We fly over that sometimes in our reading. This is a servant of Jesus the Messiah, Messiah Jesus, Israel's Messiah, a servant of Messiah Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his Son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus the Messiah, our Lord." See, this is, this is not just one off thing that happened. This was what God has been working to all along through the Old Testament. It's, it's, it's not that, um, there, there's been, I've met people, I used to debate a lot online and stuff, and I guess I've been delivered from that or something, I don't know. <laughs> but you meet people and, and they kind of have this idea that, that, you know, God tried something with the law and the legalism in the Old Testament and it didn't work. So he decided to try, do away with all that and try something else with Jesus. That is not the case. The promise was given to Abraham before the law. The law was given as a tutor to teach people what was coming. He had the law, the prophets, the Psalms, all testifying about what he would do in Jesus. When Jesus came, he was a fulfillment of the law. And you and me, we are also a fulfillment of the law. And that's a great thing. We I wish we could develop it. If you read it in Romans, you read it in uh, what Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. Romans 2 says, we, the the righteous requirements of the law are fulfilled in us, right? Who who by nature do the things. How? Because the spirit of God in us is developed. So it's, it's not like the Old Testament was something that just didn't work and we can ignore it. We have to understand it in light of what Jesus did. We are not under the Old Testament. In fact, unless we're unless you're Jewish, I'm not Jewish, it was never given to us. But the story of redemption worked through that and came to its conclusion in Jesus Christ. It's important to always keep Israel in the story of salvation because it's key to understanding what's going on. Okay. So... The resurrection of Jesus Christ is a fulfillment and uh, the end of a lot of the the goal, the conclusion of uh, of a lot of what Jesus was or God was doing in His uh, work of salvation. Okay. The point, the second one I wanted to look at was that Jesus defeated the devil. First John three eight says the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Hebrews 2.14, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. Acts 10.38, I don't have it, I didn't give it to you, but I'll just quote it. He went around doing good, Jesus, and destroying, or, or, and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. His, his central theme was to undo what the devil did through Adam. He really reversed. um, In Acts, if I would have kept on reading, it went on to say that because in Jesus, he can set you free from everything that the law could not set you free from, talking about the Old Testament. Everything that was lost in Adam was regained and much more in, in Jesus. He came to rescue us and destroy the works of the devil. That's such a powerful theme of the resurrection. And the last one that I just want to deal with here is our identification with his death, burial, and resurrection. When a person believes the gospel, God identifies him in jesus 's death, burial, and resurrection. When a person comes to God, God sees you as in christ it is really an interesting thing if you get online the first time I did it was with a concordance, but a You you can go online now and just type in in Christ and look up all the verses in the New Testament and see how God sees us in Christ. It's beautiful. Uh, I've got just a few here that are dealing specifically with the resurrection. And uh, Colossians 2.12. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And Romans 6 is much like it. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. This is a metaphor for the new birth, for, you know, new birth is a metaphor for what happened to, it's, 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 it's showing us that when we come to Christ, there is a separation from the previous life. Baptism is a burial. We are, we are identified with his death as he was in the tomb for three days. Our old life is buried with Him, and we are raised. I'm crucified with Christ. Uh, Galatians 2.20, It's my next one, came to my mind, no wonder, it's written down here. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. Isn't that beautiful? Identity, identity with His death, burial, and resurrection. And then the last one here, Ephesians 2, 4 through 6. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. When God looks at you, He sees you in Christ, seated with Him in the heavenly places. Now, this is what's really interesting about the covenant. You know, the Bible, you know, the Bible has in the, what we call the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, and then we know starting somewhere around Matthew deals with the New Covenant, right? Well, the Old Covenant was a covenant that God made with Abraham and with his descendants, with Israel. And so that everybody was working to keep the covenant when the nation didn't keep the covenant the curses of deuteronomy 28 came on them they were exiled from the land they had to perform it was performance based largely to keep the covenant but the new covenant is not my covenant with god or god's covenant with me it's god's covenant with jesus that's why it can't fail it's made it's better promises but it's a better covenant It's god's covenant with jesus I get in on the covenant because in the mind of God, I am in Christ. Christ. And that's why it can't fail. I can get out of it, but the covenant cannot be broken because Jesus is not going to fail. He's not going to keep it. It's solid. And so that's a a good thing to, to remember. In fact, everything we do now, after being buried with Him and raised together with Him, we are to do it in Christ. That's why He says, "...all authority is Mine, go in My name." In Christ, everything we do is in Christ. And the more we understand that and on purpose walk that out in our lives, the more authority and power that we will have, not because it's us, because we realize it's His. See, if I'm in Christ, if Jesus speaks a word, will the the winds die down? Yeah. Well, He said, do it in my name. So as far as that wind and waves is concerned, Jesus said it. And it, it's it's a, a place that we need to understand. I, I really would encourage you, and I, I probably should have taken the time to look some up and read them. But just go Google in Christ and just read some of those. They're they're really really good. And so I wanted to I wanted to close with this. Um, let's see, you guys are gonna have to forgive me. I'm still not used to these. This thing shuts down. I need to make it stay. Stay awake. You you know how to do that. You'll help me with this sometime, right? Anyway, I want to just close with this. This is Philippians 3, uh, starting around verse 10. Paul is speaking and he says, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. Can we know the power of His resurrection? This is Paul's goal. And may share... His sufferings becoming like him in his death. See, there's, there's new life and we all want resurrection life, but there's also a, a death to go through, a baptism, a dying to our old self. It's a laying down our life. I think a lot of times the gospel is presented as add Jesus to your already pretty much basically good life and you'll even be better. But it's not. The gospel is, Even if you're a great person, a moral person, the gospel is your your efforts, you are are not right with God. You are lost. You need to die to that and then come into newness of life. And um, that I may become like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What Jesus accomplished for us in his resurrection is ours, but let's press on. Let's let's press on, forgetting past mistakes, forgetting our past life, let's press on and take hold of that for which He took hold of us. Amen? Amen. Let's just pray. Father, thank You for Your resurrection. Thank You for the resurrection life that is ours in Christ Jesus. Thank You. Thank You. Thank You. Lord, You've laid hold of us for this. Lord, let us Grab hold of this and press on and take it, make it our own. In Jesus name, amen.